Welcome to the May 31st, 2012 episode of the Harvard Medical Lab Cast, science that's changing your world. This podcast is produced in Boston by Harvard Medical School's Office of Communications and External Relations. I'm Melissa Neller. This month, we'll explore the evolving patient-doctor relationship. Our guest is Robert Trug, an HMS professor and a senior associate in critical care medicine at Children's Hospital Boston. In addition to being an MD, Trug has a master's degree in philosophy, and he holds a leadership role in the HMS Division of Medical Ethics. Trug was recently asked to reflect on medical ethics for the New England Journal of Medicine's 200th anniversary. He decided to trace the relationship between patients and physicians over the decades. We chatted about some of his observations. When did you become interested in the doctor-patient relationship in particular? I think it was maybe backwards from the way you're asking the question. When the New England Journal asked me to reflect about ethics over the course of the journal's life, I did think that the patient-doctor relationship was central to that. And as I have sort of broken it down, it does seem very clearly to fall into the relationship that we have with patients in caring for them, the relationship that we have when we do medical research, and the relationship that we have in juxtaposition to society. And all of those are relationships that I live every day, and in fact, you know, most physicians do. So it was quite natural to, to sort of think about all of ethics through that lens. One of the things that's really intriguing to me is I said doctor-patient relationship and you said patient-doctor relationship. I suppose I do speak about it as as the patient-physician relationship. I mean, it is for the benefit of the patient, of course, and uh, they do come first. And, you know, as we increasingly talk about patient-centered care, I think that this is something, maybe a, a reorientation that is taking hold. Historically, how did physicians or maybe even society view this relationship? Well, I think it has been a one-sided relationship for a very long time with physicians being the experts in the relationship and generally with the best of intentions telling patients what they should or shouldn't do or the procedures or tests that they should or shouldn't have. I think a couple of things have really changed that. One, beginning probably in the 1960s, the rights movement that really swept our country and the world overall that was much, much bigger than just medicine, you know, various kinds of civil rights and the feminist movement and all of these things, I think, were very influential in our society through those years and since then, and and medicine got swept along as a part of that. I think in addition to patients feeling more empowered as citizens in so many areas of society, they also began to have more access to the information. Medicine became much more popular in terms of the media and the press, It began to be covered. People became more knowledgeable about their choices. And then with the explosion of the Internet in the last couple of decades, it's it's really transformed the way that patients can acquire information about their medical care. So you're saying the trend in access to information and increasingly informed patients actually started before the rise of the Internet. Yes, I I think it did. What are the benefits and the drawbacks to this shift in power toward the patient in the last few I think that it's still an area that's in flux. Of course, being a physician, I obviously don't come from a completely neutral point here, but I believe that patients really do benefit from the guidance of a knowledgeable physician in interpreting what's out there. In my practice in the intensive care unit, 
I will have families come to me with information they've gotten off of the internet. Often they're in very desperate circumstances. Their, their loved one is not doing well. You know, we're talking about things like stem cell therapies and such, which come with very high risks and absolutely no evidence of benefit. And I feel that I do them a service and I hopefully help them a lot by guiding them through what is really the valuable information out there and what are really con men who are trying to take advantage of people in desperate circumstances. And I think that's very difficult to do if you don't have the background and the, and the medical expertise. I think it's less common now for people to think that they can direct their own medical care from the information they get off the internet. They realize that it's that partnership with a healthcare provider that, that they really need in order to make good decisions. How did that transition happen? Because basically you're saying that people thought that they could direct their care through their physician and it's kind of swung back so now there's a, a real conversation about it. What kind of brought things back? Well, you know, I'm not really sure. I think that to some extent it was the natural evolution of this, which is where suddenly this information was available. People thought, oh, why do I need a doctor anymore? I can, I can look at this myself. But individually and collectively, we've, we've seen some really bad outcomes when that occurs. And uh, those have also been in the press, and people read about them and hear about them from their friends and their relatives. And so, you know, I think the, the pendulum has come back to the center in a very natural sort of way. Just collectively, as we've kind of come to this realization right. that we need a partner. We need a partner. We need, you know, we need a guide through this terrain. Now, you know, there's another way that I think decisions get made in situations that are less transparent. Decisions that are made, for example, about whether a patient should be listed for an organ transplant. You know, I think that we are increasingly becoming more transparent about how those decisions get made, but it's, uh, it's certainly an area where this power imbalance still exists and indeed needs to exist because these organs are not in infinite supply. It seems like you're an advocate for the transparency. Oh yes, and even to the point where I'm not entirely comfortable with it, one of the areas that has intrigued me recently has been the big shift in medicine around how we talk with patients and families about medical errors. I mean, it was not that long ago, certainly well within my clinical experience, that we very rarely, if ever, spoke to families about medical errors that had occurred. Now, I would say that we've come 180 degrees from that. There are cultural expectations that I think medicine is in good part responsible for having created in society, which is that healthcare is very safe, that things don't go wrong, that patients have every right to expect good outcomes from every procedure. And so I think a lot of this is sort of unwinding these expectations that have never been true. How do we need to change physician training to help you know, MDs guide these conversations about errors, about the type of care that a patient's gonna get? Do we need to be changing training in terms of communication? Yes, I think that we do. And, and as difficult as it is to, to sit down with somebody and say you've got a serious or perhaps even fatal illness, it's compounded infinitely when you have to say, you know, not only do I have bad news for you, but I also have to tell you that I was a part of causing it. And I want you to know how sorry I am for what's happened to you that could have been prevented had certain errors not occurred. That conversation is extremely difficult, and I think we are only beginning to know how to have those well, 
but increasingly there's good supports in the hospital to help physicians go through that. And I think we're, we are really doing a much, much better job of this than we were even just a few years ago. Is that something that is part of the training in the program in medical education at Harvard Medical School as well? Well, in fact, uh, it is. We added it as one of the regular modules just two years ago into the medical ethics course that we do in the medical school. Speaking more broadly in terms of the medical ethics course, do you also discuss some of these issues of communication just more generally and directing care with patients in that partnership that you mentioned? Uh, Well, this is an area that I'm interested in seeing some change occur because traditionally the way that we have taught medical ethics, the way that I've taught medical ethics, tends to be around the more dramatic problems. You know, when do you pull the plug on the ventilator? When is it okay to lie to a patient? These sorts of, you know, very rare but very dramatic types of decisions. And we're talking now about kind of the nuanced day-to-day interactions with patients. That's right. And so what I'm much more interested in is the ethics of everyday practice. The conversations that are happening in physicians' offices many times a day where there are ethical choices that are being made literally moment by moment as the conversation plays out. Just to take a well-known example, if I tell you that there's a surgery that you might have, if I want you to have it, I tell you that there's a 70% chance that it'll work. If in the back of my mind I think it's not a good idea for you, I'll tell you that there's a 30% chance of failure. Now both are entirely true. And yet by framing it, I am subtly influencing how this conversation is going to go and the kind of decision you're going to make. And there's many, many examples like that. The problem is is that for the most part, physicians are not aware of the way that they are shaping and framing these conversations. And so the first step is becoming more aware of it. And the second is really exploring the ethics of this and what are the best ways that we can help make decisions that are best for them. What would you like patients to think about in terms of the next time they go into their physician's office or just in in how they think about managing and and, um, cultivating their relationship with their physician? I would encourage patients to take responsibility for their health care, to become educated about their health problems, to be able to go in to see their physician with, with good questions, but to recognize it as a partnership, that they're making decisions together. And I think to recognize that physicians, like everybody else, are not perfect, that we make mistakes, that it's a part of medicine, and it's never going to go away, although I think one of the great things of the last 10 years is the prominence that has been given to patient safety, and I think that patients have a right to demand safe health care, and they should ask questions about safety and make sure that their physicians are paying attention to those sorts of things. And so you have your own physician that you would go to, are you following your own advice when you become a patient? <laughs> uh, well, you know, if, if anything, maybe I'm, I'm a little bit too trusting. Uh, I tend really not to spend a lot of time researching the kinds of ailments that I have or am susceptible to. Maybe if I followed my own advice, I would become a little bit more self-knowledgeable. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. we focused on the patient-doctor relationship in the context of clinical care. In his New England Journal of Medicine article, Trug also took a look at clinical research, as well as doctors' obligations to whole populations and health systems. You can find a link to his piece on our website at hms.harvard.edu podcasts. 
This podcast is a production of Harvard Medical School's Office of Communications and External Relations, and we'd love to hear your comments on this program. Tell us what you think and see what other listeners are saying at hms.harvard.edu slash podcasts. To learn more about Harvard Medical School, its academic and research programs, and its affiliated hospitals and research institutes, visit hms.harvard.edu.